Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I've got a few topics here I want to bring up, and the main portion of this episode is a talk that I have with Jason McGregor, who goes by Outcast, as the co-host of the Dangerous Info podcast with Jesse James. And those two guys have been kind enough to have me on their show a few times. And I've had Jesse on before, but I've never had Outcast on. And I wanted to get his take on the state of education and his experience with education and some of the things, of course, that he witnessed when he was growing up. And how remarkably detrimental that environment, of course, can be on youth, as we all know, but how it can feed individuals the wrong messages about a great many things that can take them down particular paths that maybe they otherwise would not have taken. But before I get to that conversation, there are a few topics here that I want to bring up just very quickly. This was a story again recently here on the Gateway Pundit, and it is titled Annual COVID Shot Expected Much Like Flu Shots, says their new CDC director. And uh, let me see here. Their new CDC director is a Dr. Mandy Cohen, shocking, and announced that her agency anticipates the COVID-19 vaccine becoming an annual vaccination, much like the flu shot. You, of course, heard me read that AARP article, which I linked in the description below the last episode. That right there, that article, that's about all the proof you need as to exactly what they plan on rolling out here and what they plan on doing. They have an RSV shot coming out, respiratory syncytial virus. This, of course, has never been created before now. Pfizer's created it, as I went over in the last episode. More COVID shots, more flu shots. These are all biological weapons. The people who take them will not survive. And the RSV shot is unfortunately part of the fairy tale and part of the hook here. Because the individuals who are having a hard time breathing or coughing or whatever, these individuals will go to the doctor's office now because they've already taken the COVID shots. And you've heard me again describe the connection here. Their nervous system, their central nervous system is destroyed and damaged, which is why they're having trouble breathing or they're coughing constantly or whatever it may be. But they're treating the wrong symptom. So now, the medical industry is, of course, going to use that symptom, albeit false, and they're going to use that to justify their asking questions to the patient as to whether or not they've taken the RSV shot. And if they say, no, I haven't, then, then of course, the medical industry will say, well, this is your cure then. This is the preventative move that you need to make in order to stave off any kind of respiratory illness in the future. And this this shot will do them in. The RSV shot, along with the rest of them, will do them in. But you can see how the fairy tale is tied from one shot to the next. And that's that's the story here. And they're sticking to it, and they're going to ram it down people's throats no matter what. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. Expect the massive propaganda push on television, radio, whatever it may be, because these individuals want you jabbed with anything and everything on a constant basis. And if you do it, you will not survive. So keep that in mind. 
as horrific as that is, and yes, it is horrific because it's a matter of life and death here, and that's that's the way that it is. Um, let me mention this now. Simone Gold. Simone Gold spoke on the steps of the Supreme Court, if memory serves, or right outside of the Supreme Court. She was there with numerous other individuals trying to recreate how they are going after the pharmaceutical industry and hospitals and look at all our petitions that we have signed and they had this giant stack of papers. I actually cannot believe these people for associating with Simone Gold and her crimes. Again, Simone Gold has misappropriated millions of dollars, stolen millions of dollars, not paid back endless amounts that she was supposed to pay back, you would think, or didn't when certain drugs ran out of stock. Again, instead of just returning the money, she kept it. And, of course, is using all of this lawfare, so to speak, to justify her keeping it. And that's what she's claiming. She's also, of course, continues to steal the name America's Frontline Doctors, and she's not even associated with them anymore. But the doctors that were standing around her and behind her, ladies and gentlemen, these individuals are not awake. They just aren't. Because no one with a conscience would stand behind Simone Gold right now regarding any of these issues. Because again, all she's going to do is use her recent appearance here in Washington, D.C. to grift more than she already has. You had Robert Malone there. There was Dr. Lee Merritt, Dr. Angie Farella, Dr. Mark McDonald, Dr. Stella Emanuel, for God's sakes, was there. I was shocked. Do these people not know that she is being investigated and being I'm not sure what the term would even be. There's massive oversight regarding her and her misappropriation of funds of millions of dollars. Do they not know this? Are they unaware? Or have they just stuck their head in the sand and they've chalked it up to, well, it must be the enemy attacking her. That's what it is. I I can't believe it. The guilt by association here, ladies and gentlemen, is astounding. It's absolutely astounding. In fact, again, to revisit this and to revisit how asleep many of these people were, certainly back then, I understand more people are awake now, but I had Angie Farella on the show here. I want to say that was either May or I think it was May, May of 2021. And she must have been in her office because I got her phone number through AFLDS and I called her up and I said, Hey, my name is so and so. I have a show. Would you like to be on it? Do you have a few minutes to talk? She said, absolutely. Let's go for it. During the talk, I could not believe that she was disappointed about potentially not being able to distribute flu shots as a pediatrician. I mean, this is a woman who, again, consistently gives flu shots, or at least did back then. Because I was the one who told her, I said, look, you might not want to give them any more shots of any kind ever, in particular flu shots. And she said, well, I've already placed the order. If I, if I don't, then I'll be out a lot of money. And I, there was a long pause, and I just thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. But this is the problem. These people, again, are having a hard time examining their own practices and all of the things that they've done in the past. 
and understanding that what they've done is probably not a good thing. And now they're associating with an individual who just because she spent time in jail for rushing into the Capitol, which she did to give a speech, she wasn't pushed in. It wasn't that she didn't have anywhere else to go. She willfully walked in there along with her half-gay boyfriend. And, and that's that. So she lied about her involvement there. Again, I don't think anybody who entered the Capitol should be in jail. You heard me say that, certainly if they weren't a Fed uh, and certainly if they weren't vandalizing anything. But guilt by association is, is a big, big deal here. You, you would think she would be kryptonite to anybody in this so-called freedom movement or whatever the hell some of these grifters call it. But nope. So, I don't know. It was over a 30-some-odd-minute speech. Robert Malone spoke the most, so he's clearly trying to associate with it to, to stay as far away from any bad news as he possibly can regarding his own involvement with the Department of Defense and playing with bioweapons in a lab. I'm just not sure that surrounding yourself with Simone Gold is the way to do that. So, I don't know. Keep your eyes open for guilt with association and guilt by association. If these individuals are not becoming better people by changing the people that they are around and associating with, well, then it's time to ditch them. I was really disappointed with Stella Emanuel and uh, Lee Merritt. Couldn't believe that they were there. Couldn't believe it. Do they not have better things to do? Again, they're smarter than Simone Gold. They're smarter than Robert Malone. They don't need to be around these people. Whoever advised them to go, or whatever decision they made to go, was a bad choice. They made a really bad choice. That's my opinion. Here's the next thing I wanted to bring up. Illinois. It is now legal in the state of Illinois for illegal aliens to be police officers. You cannot make this up. This is real. This has been signed into law by their governor. And if you live in Illinois, well, your war is right there. It's right there, and I don't see that getting any better. The only hope here, of course, is that these individuals who have done this and are allowing this to happen will be caught someday and arrested for, of course, subverting the freedoms and the Constitution that we have in this country and that they will be held accountable. That leads me to this final thing. Before, uh, before my talk here with Outcast, Derek Johnson was on X-22 Spotlight yet again. I think this was the second time that he's been on, and he talked with Dave from X-22 Report for a lengthy amount of time. Uh, Derek Johnson is a bright guy. He certainly brings the receipts, and he takes a look at the documents that are provided even by Donald Trump himself. He explains way too much in this interview for me to even approach it or get into it. But he points out a lot of the things that I've mentioned in the past too, and that he, of course, has brought up also, which has to do with, and he brought it up first because, of course, he's been in the military and he knows what he's looking at at face value. But he brings up all of the military uniform irregularities that take place the so-called nuclear football that gets passed around and who's really in possession of it and why they have to be in possession of it. 
and what that really is. And one of the things that that nuclear football suitcase is, is the emergency broadcast system. And he gets into that a little bit as well. And then toward the end, again, he, he talks about some of the criticism that he's received, uh, in particular from a few veterans, but he says the majority of veterans who reach out to him know that what he's saying is legitimate, that Donald Trump is the commander in chief, that Joe Biden is a puppet president, and that he's the president of a corporation that frankly no longer exists. And there are endless generals that have been behind this movement to fix America and root out as much corruption as humanly possible for decades and decades. And now here we are, one year before a presidential election, allegedly, and there's more chatter as to what is going to happen, of course, between now and then. One of the points he brings up at the end is that in order to wake up the masses, because again, you have two fractions of, of society, he says. He says, that, you know, there's clearly a division. You have those that are awake and squabbling among one another as to what might happen or what might not happen. You have those that are sort of falling away from being awake and saying, well, nothing's going to happen. We've all been lied to. But then you have this other huge section of society that's dead asleep and has no idea what's going on. They don't know where to go to get their news. They typically turn on their televisions, their TV watchers. Maybe they just read the, the standard propaganda news apps that are on their cell phones. What are the things that would wake up everybody all at once? And he brings this up, and he brings up a number of different scenarios. And just to sort of summarize a couple of the, of the things that he brings up at the end is he says, you would have to make it remarkably dramatic and something that we've never seen before in order for people to wake up. The number of crimes, the kinds of crimes would have to become public. Again, whether that means an overtaking of the EBS system, the internet shutdown, uh, all of the televisions are on the same channel broadcasting of a singular message that's taking place as to what is really going on. And then, of course, the fact that this has to be going on while Joe Biden is in office. That, if the, that, that basically this couldn't happen if Donald Trump was in office because too many people would blame him like he was part of the problem. Well, they'll blame him anyway. But if it's someone like the military intervening and overtaking what goes on here and rushing to the forefront and, again, arresting these individuals and holding them accountable for the entire public to see, the public isn't going to have anything to do. They may take to the streets, they may do this, they may do that, but we've even been told in Q posts that the response would be swift regarding the National Guard and the federalization of the National Guard, which is still in place. So they would show up in cities if they're not already there, which in many cases they are, and they, of course, would extinguish as much of any riots that would take place as quickly as humanly possible. But on top of that, he basically says, if there is a 2024 election, Donald Trump would win because the military would be in charge behind the scenes. So you're talking about paper ballots, you're talking about one-day voting, things like that. However, it's also possible that there won't be an election, that it would be delayed. 
because of these revelations that would come out as a result of the military putting them out and saying, here's what's really been going on, everybody. That would, that would wake up the masses. That would be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing that would s- certainly go down in the history books as being something that's never occurred before. And yes, that would, that would certainly wake up even the dead asleep. Even they would have to start saying to themselves, wait a minute, everything that we've been seeing and, and everything that's been going on, something else has been happening this whole time? That's a big, big deal. But I highly recommend, again, watching it. It's, it's remarkably convincing. Again, he rings off these, these executive orders smoothly. He rings off the Law of War Manual codes, not all of them, of course, because I've seen the books. They're in my family's possession, but I mean, they're they're two volumes and they're remarkably thick. And he even says, of course, those books are filled with legalese and legal terms. But at the same time, there's a simplicity about it as well as to who's really in charge and, and what the person who's really in charge gets to do if a foreign entity is influencing someone else. And we know that, of course, that's the case. He also brings up this too, which before I read this particular scenario, I want to mention this. He does bring up all of this money that's allegedly going to Ukraine and uh, all of this you know, military aid. He consistently says Joe Biden, of course, is not in charge of the military because he's not the commander in chief. And you heard me say a while back, remember all that footage that they showed us of all of these, uh, I'm sorry, uh, United States military equipment. It was like a flyover of all of this equipment that was going to be sent to Ukraine, so they said. We haven't seen any of that in Ukraine. In any of the footage that we've seen coming out of Ukraine, allegedly, we, we haven't seen any American. Uh, tanks or planes or Humvees or anything like that over there. Not a single one. So it's a show. People are being shown something that is not real and something that is not taking place. There aren't really American soldiers over in Ukraine. Yes, there have been the occasional, you know, college age nitwit who goes over there and is, you know, says, I'm going to help. And then they get their legs blown off, and then they're not helping anything. Of course, they weren't helping anything anyway, but you get what I'm saying. Here's a particular scenario, though, that was on Great Awakening. When I want to read it quickly. It's not Derek Johnson's scenario, but it is a plausible scenario. It says the following. It says, for some reason, the White, Hat, the White Hats really want to keep the spotlight on Hunter Biden. Trump brought him up during the debates. And now... Once again, there's a heavy spotlight on him and his corruption. At the same time, there's been more and more attention on the rich and powerful abusing poor trafficked children. Think about the supposed suicide of Jeffrey Epstein in the trial of Maxwell and now the movie Sound of Freedom, talking about the country, taking the country by storm and it will soon be hitting the entire world. Of course, you know my opinions on that movie, but that's a separate subject. It says, I anticipate there will be increased attention on child trafficking in the next year as well. They said, well, my theory is all timed, and Hunter and child trafficking will eventually collide. Hunter really is the perfect poster boy for every scandal. He is so sleazy looking that there's not a soul alive that defends him. Even the most NPC liberals will say, quote, Hunter is not running for president, unquote. 
They continued and said, imagine it is August of 2024. The world is now more awoken to the evils of child trafficking, but they are still lacking a face to attach it to. It is at this time the videos of Hunter horribly mistreating these children emerge, cleaned up for legal viewing. All of the world is incensed with anger. Even the far left are saying he should be convicted, while reminding that he and Joe are two different people. Hunter is then indicted, and in response, Joe immediately pardons him. At this time, the people are screaming for blood. There, there are screams from the American people to impeach Biden, but instead of impeaching him, many in Congress from both parties refuse to impeach him. I believe this scenario would lead to a 50-state sweep by Donald John Trump. Possible? Question mark, unquote. Again, it's a, it's a possible scenario. There are lots of scenarios. That's an interesting one because we know what's really on those laptops. We know the pictures and the videos that are really on there, and it's him with minors. We know this. But this is the elephant in the room that, of course, the media is not touching with a 10-foot pole and many others aren't, which means any of these leaks that come out in the media and these stories that come out, they're not, they're not controlled by the media. They are controlled by the good guys. There's no doubt about it. All of these alleged prosecutions of Donald Trump and indictments, they have nothing on the man. Nothing. He's the commander-in-chief. He's clean, completely clean, which leads me to this scenario before my talk with Outcast, which again should should basically, I think, not only justify, but certainly uh, harden the resolve of, of parents around the world. Let's run through this just quickly. If the time came between now and the next election, where an EBS system went out, an emergency broadcast system blows up everybody's phones, blows up everybody's radios, TVs, you name it. And it's, and it's factual messaging, which has always been one of the rumors that's existed for numerous years dating back to the Q drops, that there would be a massive internet shutdown of some kind and, of course, the EBS system and that we would physically see on all of our screens, on everybody's screens, what's really been going on this entire time, whether it be messaging, video, pictures, graphic content, whatever it may be. But if that happened during, for example, the school year, in particular on a holiday, then school would be out of session. Children would be with their families, typically speaking. And that would certainly be a rather effective way to get the message across as to what's really going on and wake up the sheep. At the exact same time, you would have to wonder, well, do you want to wake up the school environment as a whole also? Which then begs the question, would you put forth such a plan like that to wake up the masses during an actual school day? We'll, we'll say, for example, the middle of a Wednesday, you know, the middle of a week, rather, on a Wednesday, like a Wednesday morning. Students are all in school on a Wednesday morning, and then bam, the EBS system hits. The entire school starts beeping with kids' cell phones beeping. 
the televisions aren't working, the computers aren't working, and it's just this constant EBS message of what's really taking place. You would have parental chaos, the likes of which you can't possibly imagine. So if I was a betting man, even though I think that would help wake up people, it would certainly traumatize them to some extent. You would think that you would want the EBS system to go on in the interest of protecting children. You would want that to happen when the children are as far away from the school environment as humanly possible, which again would mean a summer vacation, a spring break, although that's sporadic, as opposed to like a Christmas Day kind of thing, where clearly more families are together with one another. But I don't see them really doing this or pulling this trigger from an operational standpoint if they pull it, which I, I feel like they would have to, but I don't see them pulling it during an actual school day. That would create, again, a level of psychological trauma within that environment that would be almost uncontrollable. All of the brainwashed sheep, of course, who run these school buildings and these school districts, regardless of the kind of school across the nation, wouldn't know what the hell to do. They would start telling their parents to come and pick up their kids. Could they even get a hold of their parents? That's another question. I don't know. But you can see how chaotic it would be. And you can probably imagine how chaotic it would be. So it's just food for thought is that my point is, is that if this, if this trigger gets pulled from an awakening standpoint and the EBS system is, is triggered to help wake people up, it would have to happen at a time when children are more likely to be around their family members and not associated with these government, private, or charter institutions that, of course, we call schools. Because then, you know, what would happen? If they return to these schools after such an event, I mean, everything, everything would change then too, wouldn't it? All these students would be talking about it the entire time. The teachers wouldn't be able to avoid it. They would be told to avoid it, but it's American history. It's world history. They wouldn't be able to avoid it. And they certainly wouldn't be able to go back to doing what they were doing previously. I mean, you're talking about a conscience shift and a shift in conscience here, in consciousness, I should say, that would bring people to a completely different level. It would be an ascension of sorts. But again, that. That ripping of the cord out of the back of people's minds, like in the Matrix, would be a very painful thing. But this right here, I think, continues to prove my point that you want kids out of these schools and your children out of these schools now. You want them out now. Again, look at what's happening with um, New, New South Wales in Australia. In New South Wales in Australia, they fired all of the teachers who wouldn't take the jabs. Now, what kind of a problem do you think their schools have? The teachers who are there who are jabbed are all sick. Many of them are dying. And their school enrollment is next to zero. It's plummeting. And they can't find employees. And they can't find students to even inhabit the buildings. This is happening again in Australia. This can happen here too. And it is happening in many schools and school districts around the United States. And it's not going to get better with time. It'll get worse. But when you throw in, again, the wake-up events and the EBS system and all these other scenarios that have been discussed for years and years, 
Is this the environment where you want your children? Do you want them in a school environment when a trigger like that gets pulled on an operation that has been operational for a very long time? I don't think so. I think, and it's my opinion, I think you would want them as far away from such institutions as humanly possible. The same is true with college and university settings. I mean, all hell would break loose. And it's, I mean, <laughs> if you've ever studied the behaviors of college and university students, they'll, they'll look for any excuse to not go to class. And, and they'll do that constantly, year, year in, year out. The EBS system would keep them away from college campuses. So why even be there in the first place? This is going to get interesting. Again, this next calendar year is really going to get interesting. I think it's highly plausible that an election does not take place, or if one does, it's done after the revealing of all of the crime that has occurred throughout the past numerous years, and the election would then be run by the military and surveilled by the military. That's a, that's a beyond a plausible scenario. So it's food for thought. Keep that in mind. I will link in the description below the Derek Johnson interview. You have to watch the entire thing. Um, I fell asleep through part of it, but woke up and kept watching it. And I mean, I get it. I, I certainly get it. And it's excellent food for thought. And it's a discussion starter because you can't listen to something like this and, and pay attention to something like this and the smoothness of it and the common sense nature of it and taking into account Occam's razor. I mean, the answer with the least amount of assumptions is usually the correct one. So that seems to be the case, and again, there are numerous things to think about and discuss with your family and your friends and the people that you know to be awake and what could and could not happen, but discussing where you need to be and how prepared you need to be when something does go down, that's a big deal too. In fact, I'll end with this, because this, again, not, not an accident. This is not an accident. Donald Trump gave a talk in Erie, Pennsylvania at a rally. And he took the stage and was introduced to enter the stage at a very specific time, which was 1,700 hours and 58 minutes, Eastern Standard Time in the PM. That, of course, again, as I just said, was on January 29th, Saturday night. At the time when he was introduced, at 1,700 hours and 58 minutes military time, if you look up 1,700 hours and 58 minutes or post-1758, the date of post-1758 is July 29th of 2018, and it simply says, this is not a game, Q. So again... You can think whatever you want about that, but there are too many deltas, there are too many coincidences, and this is an operation. And for people to dismiss it and say that it's not, I would say perhaps you just have some more thinking to do. And maybe even your people are overthinking particular things, which of course can cloud judgment as well because it can create more confusion. But Learning the way that they communicate and the way that they're trying to communicate with us was also 
a piece of education that those Q drops specifically told us that we need to learn their comms and learn the way that they communicate. And this is one of them. They communicate through deltas that when a day comes and a day passes, pay attention to what goes on that day, match up a few numbers, and then boom, bam, you've got something rather significant. Again, it's not a coincidence. It's a giant on purpose. That's all. It's a giant on purpose. The good guys are certainly in charge. Everybody is is seeing the levels of corruption and what's taking place. That's not accidental. That's being that's being directed by a director. It's being scripted. And this is this is our military. These are the good people in our military. So again, I'll link that in the description below. Thanks for listening to all that rambling. Um okay. Here's my talk, ladies and gentlemen, with Jason McGregor, outcast, co-host of the Dangerous Info podcast. He's a great guy, man of God, and uh, this is uh, this is a this is just a great discussion as to how the school environment does manipulate and twist the minds of individuals and lie to them and lie to parents. And these are not the environments that we need going forward. So give this a listen, ladies and gentlemen, and I will catch you on Wednesday. If you can, basically get in a time machine and go back to when you were attending school and what were some of the things that you saw on a consistent basis that were troublesome to you and then when did you start to understand that this isn't how it has to be? Wow. Well, that, that, okay, so that's a big question. And for, for me, I want to I, I, I give credit to people for allowing me to talk about this. And I'm, um, I'm going to say that I have not spoke much about the, what happened to me when I was in the fourth grade very much because. I had a lot of shame. I felt, uh, I felt labeled from the experience. I felt, um, yeah, I guess shame is the best word I can come up with. So I, I have hidden it. I have not talked about it much to anybody my whole life. Um, but there's two people that, uh, have encouraged me to, to start talking about it a little bit more. Um, you are one of them. Okay. And you, you echoed the sentiments of my older brother. I have a, I had, I had two brothers, one passed away, but I had a, I have an older brother, John, and um, he has always been the perfect big brother. When I was a kid, he he was eight years older than me, and he was more than willing to take me places when he was a teenager. And he it was an unspoken agreement that if you behave like a, a, a grown-up, I'll bring you along and I'll let you do things with me. If you act like a, a clown, then you don't get to come with me. Um, but he was always um, fair. Uh, mentoring and kind. Well, about time flies now. It feels like it was yesterday, but probably about four years ago, five years ago, we were sitting around talking. I don't know what, about what, but my, my brother John did very well in school. He was just the way that they taught uh, suited his learning, and um, he um, he was like you know did calculus and trigonometry and ended up being an electrical engineer. And he was always really good in school. And I struggled in school partly uh, in some ways. And, um, I got labeled learning disabled. And one day as adults, you know, I hear I'm in my forties probably. And my brother says, my old big brother says, um, you know what? I think what, what breaks my heart is I have no doubt of your intellect. You were, you were very intelligent, well-spoken. And, um, and I think very highly of you as my little brother. And what breaks my heart is that the way that they taught schools suited my type of learning, but didn't suit yours. And, um, man, that almost brought me to tears yeah, to sure. hear that because my whole life I've been telling myself that I'm just not smart. I'm not smart. I'm not smart. I'm not smart, you know, because of how school made me feel. 
And, um, and then when we got to know you from the Anon podcast, um, I, uh, I realized that I, that my brother's sentiment wasn't, he, he wasn't alone. You had the exact same, um, message to me. I don't know if it was directly to me or not, but you said the same thing. And, um, it made me realize that, no, I'm not dumb. I've been labeled, you know, maybe, I, I don't know if it was ever that extreme, but I felt like I was labeled as a, as a dummy because I didn't like school. Right. And then with this, uh, I guess we'll call it for lack of a better description, this great awakening that we're going through and we're learning to question everything because we're realizing that if they're willing to lie to us in one area, they're willing to lie to us in every area. So then we start digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And we realize that we are, um, you know, that the, that the school system isn't meant to, to, to cultivate think great thinkers. It's meant to cultivate great um, obedient doers That's right. for their will. Right. And for people like you and I, since I, you know, since we, we kind of bonded last on the last podcast, because, you know, I was realizing we had a lot of similarities in how we thought as kids, um, you know, I'm starting to realize that um, they resented the fact that we were thinkers and you and I were the types of types of people that if we didn't see a practical application, um, we weren't that enthusiastic about learning it. So, so I thought I was bad at math, but I, I do just fine, you know, balancing checkbooks and doing business math. I'm, I'm, I'm a businessman by nature, uh, by trade, I should say. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem crunching numbers and figuring out percentages because I can see the practical application. Uh, now you asked me to sit in an in algebra class, and yeah, I struggled because <laughs> I didn't, I could not understand for the life of me the practical application. Now, I know there is practical applications for algebra. I know that, uh, especially if you're trying to figure out volumes and different things like that. But for me and for what I had planned for my life, it didn't. Um, but where I, so where I was an anomaly in school to take you back and get to your original question to get me back to the time machine, um, I, because I was the youngest of four and my siblings were much older than me, I was a surprise baby. Um, I had a very high vocabulary at a young age, um, a, after this incident in the, in the, in the fourth grade where, um, I was, we, our school classroom had a, um, had a, a small bathroom in every room, which is, I, I know is unusual for some schools, but it was a little cinder block one bathroom in the back of the class and um uh it's a long story but i at one point i ended up in that bathroom hiding from my teacher in the fourth i was 10 years old so it's 1981 and he was a giant of a man he was six foot something i don't know if i should say his name or not but i'll never forget his name and in fact to this day if i smell his cologne I'll, i have a little bit of a panic attack uh, <laughs> and uh i got cornered in that bath that tiny little bathroom by him and he's accusing me of faking that I was struggling in math because I had high reading skills and high vocabulary skills. After this incident, actually the, the principal ended up in the bathroom, in that little bathroom. And like I said on the show the other day, I probably was hiding behind the porcelain just to, to try to escape these guys. I was literally in the, in the corner, curled up in a ball in the corner as they, these guys were yelling at me. So this yeah, guy, yeah. Th this guy, a school teacher uh -huh. was, was accusing you of, of faking of faking being bad at math uh-huh because he thought that your vocabulary was so high that you should just be better at math yeah now now so, now to kind of take some of my mom's vocabulary uh my mother's past now rest in peace but she was a um uh, of course, like like a good mother should be, she was a staunch advocate for her children. And my mom, we, we joked a lot that my mom was passive aggressive. But when it came to the situation, I saw. Um, sorry, I'm going to get choked up. I saw a bit of a uh, a warrior come out in her. Okay, sure. And she fought for me 
Yeah. And she knew that there was other ways to teach kids that the school wasn't acknowledging or didn't, didn't have the funds for, didn't have the infrastructure for whatever it was. Um, so she would say that, yeah, they, they look, well, they were looking at your vocabulary and your, and your reading skills. And they were like, well, how, it's impossible that you can't do this math. You're, you're, you're technically, you're smart, but you're acting dumb. Acting dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, I've heard teachers say some stupid shit in my day, but that right there, I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> well, he, that that he know, actually it, thought that you were just intentionally doing poorly. Yeah, he, you know, now that, now that you're making me think about it, 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 it was probably in his mind, it was a level of insubordination that I was manipulating him or something in his mind. Good his insecure, God. In his insecure mind. Right? Wow. Yeah, so so it was, uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there was a lot going on that year in hindsight um, where I, I think I was, the whole thing was a culmination of, of uh, I hate to use this word loosely because there's people that have endured horrific trauma as a child. I mean, I know there's people that are born into terrible homes with parents that put cigarettes out on, cigarette butts out on them, on them and stay, you know, I'll beat them and rape them. I didn't have any of that. I had great parents. But what happened, I think, in hindsight was, um, uh, you know, I had a house full of people. I had my, my siblings were older than me and they always took me, you know, did things with me or, or was, I was getting picked on and their friends would come over. And, I, and then all of a sudden in the, when I was 10 years old, they all left the house relatively at the same time. Sister got married, brother going to college, my other brother went to the military. And suddenly overnight, I was an only child. And I think in hindsight, if I'm going to self-analyze, I was probably going through some type of uh, trauma from losing everybody at one time. And that was very traumatic for me as a little kid. Sure. Uh, I, I had a pretty, you know, I, I'm not going to paint a false picture. I had, a, I had an idyllic life and I had great parents. But I, I think that really shook me. And at the same time, I start struggling in school. Maybe they had something to, maybe, well, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, but that was a, it was a heavy year for me. And um, yeah, I don't know. And next, so, so these teachers are accusing me of faking it. And so then subsequently, my mom got me into some testing. And found out when I was in the fourth grade, I had the uh, vocabulary of a tenth grader. I had a, I was tested with a hundred and forty verbal IQ in the in the in the fourth grade. I mean, that's that's fantastic. What what were the repercussions for this teacher? Anything? Uh, I don't know if anything really happened to him per se, but what happened was my mom um, uh, fought so hard that, and she she knew some people, other people in education at other schools. She knew there was a new growing uh, movement to start alternative learning. Uh, classes that we were labeled LD, learning disabled, which I, of course, with a kid with 140 verbal IQ, I hated that stigma. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was, I hated that. That made me really, that bummed me out pretty bad. But I, in that process, uh, for a short time, uh, she had a special precedent put in place for our school. And I got on a bus every day and they took me to a neighboring school where they had an LD program for math. And I met a teacher, her name was uh, Alice Purvis. And, um, uh, from what I understand, I, I've been meaning to, to seek her out, and I think she's still alive. She'd be quite getting, she'd be getting up there in age, but she um, she was a loving, compassionate, passionate woman for kids. She just loved us, and she took the time to to teach us math. And then, then the following year, they end up getting a, a program at my own school where I could go in and get some a different approach towards math to help me catch up. Um, but I don't think any of that would have happened if these teachers wouldn't have done this to me and that my mom wouldn't have stood up. Right. Yeah. That's great. So, 
So, if, I mean, I guess if there's any lesson in here, if you're, I don't care how timid you are, my, we, I would always think of my mom as a timid person, but when it came to this situation, she was not timid. So if you're listening out there and you, uh, you have kids and you, you don't, never shy away from being an advocate for your kids, because I'm here to tell you at 52 years old, in hindsight, what an epic tale this must have been, you know? Um, I, I think in hindsight too, before these labels existed, I think I had anxiety. You know, I think I was like right before a math test, I was being overwhelmed with anxiety. I couldn't focus. Now, what led to that? I don't know. I don't know why math would get me like that. But at the time, it did. So um, uh, interestingly, I mean, since you seem interested in the story, I'll take you a step further. So my mom was a, a teacher's aide at a different school, not my school. So she she had a, a, we had a neighbor that was a teacher and the neighbor approached my mom and she said, hey, I think you'd be great as a teacher's aide. You know, why don't you get out of the house? You know, for, you know, I was like 10 years old. Maybe I was a little earlier than that. Maybe I was eight or nine when my mom decided to, to start working, which was a trend in the 80s, of course. And uh, so she she was learning things from this teacher and how to approach the situation. But because of those connections, my mom kept tabs on this teacher that, that did this to me and, and the principal of the school, too. And uh, here, <laughs> I'm going to paint you a picture. I have no agenda by telling you this story. It's, it's, it's slightly self-effacing, but I want to paint you a picture as, as a, what, the, what trauma does to people I'm learning. Um, I've been reading a book called Spiritual Warfare, and it talks about, it's like a, a clinical psychology books, book mixed with scripture to explain how uh, in, you know, unclean spirits and, and demonic oppression and possession can happen in people. And, it, and it, a lot of it roots back to childhood trauma. Now, everybody has levels of trauma. It could be something as mundane as, um, you know, uh, you got picked on in school for not having the right clothes. It could be as something as traumatic that you were uh, molested by a loved one. Or more commonly than not, you have abandonment issues from a divorced family. That's probably the most common one that people are dealing with. If not dealt with, with the healing um, power of Jesus Christ that gives you forgiveness. You know, once you accept his forgiveness for your sins, you can then go on to forgive other people for theirs. If it's not dealt with in that manner, this is in my humble opinion, it manifests itself as rebellion in adulthood. The most common rebellion is a rebellion towards God, and then it translates as rebellion towards everybody. They, they become almost like a contrarian. They want to go opposite of what anybody else is doing. They have to argue uh, it's a whole thing that's born out of this type of uh, situation. Well, for me, it, it manifests itself as, as a literal rebellion where I became a, a hardcore punk kid with mohawks and dreadlocks and bullet belts and studded jackets. And this is back in the 80s when it was less common. So uh, I lived in a, a kind of a, I hate to d disparage my town that I grew up in, but it's, it's a bit of a, a hick town. And I had shotguns pulled on me just because of the way I looked. I had people try to uh, beat me up on a regular basis because they looked so, so, so back then, you know, having, you know, uh, a Mohawk was a little bit more rebellious than it is now. Now it's more commonplace. So here I was in high, uh, I was probably in high school and, uh, skate, you know, skateboarding all the time. And I had dreadlocks at this point in my life. And I was, I was a filthy, ugly mess. And, um, my mom comes up to me and she's like, uh, I just was down the street at the, at the neighbor kids graduation party and you're your teacher's down there, the one that, you know, uh, I don't know if you want me to say his name or not. I, I guess I could say his name. He's passed now. His name was Dr. Robolsky. I'm sorry, not Dr. I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Robolsky, I should say. So Mr. Robolsky's down there at this, this graduation party, and he'd like to see you. And I'm like, all right, well, it's been a long time, so let's, uh, maybe we can air something out. Maybe we can talk. Maybe I'm going to get an apology from this guy of some sort. Maybe I can apologize for anything that I may have done wrong in this situation. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out of it. I'm, I'm young and uh, just young and immature enough that I was 
pretty daunted by it. I mean, I had like that anxiety feeling was coming right back in my gut just to think about uh, being face to face with this guy again. Right. And I, uh, I thought I got to do this. So I went down the street to the graduation party and I said, Hey, Mr. Robolsky, it's Jason McGregor. And, um, he took one look at me and he just ex- exited the situation immediately. Hey, how you doing? Okay. How you doing? Bye. Really? I freaked him out because the way I look, I think it freaked him out. I don't know. Maybe there was guilt. Maybe he's looking at me going, did I do that to this kid? <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking, but wow. it, 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 he had nothing for me. He had no sage words to reconcile with me. He had nothing. Nothing. And, and the funny thing is leading up to this, my mom said, Oh, I, I heard, you know, I ran into Dr. Robolsky at a teacher's conference and he said he'd love for you to come by and see him sometime. That went on through my junior high years and through high school. And I was like, well, okay. Cause he was at a, he was at an elementary school across the street from my junior high, I remember. And I'm never thinking, well, I'm not going to walk across the street and go walk into an elementary school to go talk to this guy. I just, you know, I was a teenager. I'm doing other things, you know, having fun with my friends, you know, being a, being a junior high clown that we were. But as in, in high school, I was like, all right, well, let's, he keeps asking, let's get this out of the way. And he presented, he brought nothing to the table. Now, to make you understand this guy too, he was pretty formidable. I mean, not only was he tall, he was kind of buff. I think he was an ex-football player or something. So he was a buff, big guy. And to think that uh, uh, a skateboarder with dreadlocks could induce some type of fear or terror into him is hilarious to me because he was a giant. He was a giant of a man. Uh, so, so you're getting the deep story here. You're getting the deep dive. I don't think I've told too many people this story. Nice. No. Uh, but. Um, yeah, it's just it's interesting. And I realized at that point that this immature giant baby man was in charge of educating children. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just I'm laughing. I'm thinking about things that I did as a kid. Like, I remember I, we, had, we had a lot of molding clay as a kid. We, for some reason, my big brothers always had clay around the house that we would – we were a creative family. We'd always make clay figures and stuff. And I remember creating these clay effigies of, the, of Mr. Robolsky and our principal – Doug Lee, and they were uh, very garish uh, little troll monster men. <laughs> My mom thought that was hilarious that I had these like clay effigies of these of these two guys. That's how large they lived in my mind. Yeah, you know, when I was te- when I was ten years old. But um, I mean, you know, and, and let, let's give these guys a break too. You know, they're from an era where you know, uh, you know, paddling was the norm. You know, which. I'm not sure that's a bad thing either. You know, maybe everything in moderation, but they were, you know, Doug Lee had a, had a wood paddle and he'd carry it through the hallway. And if you knew that if you crossed the line in in school and you got set down in the office, you might get paddled. We knew people who got paddled, you know, it was a thing. They came from a generation that was like, well, toughen up, be a man. We're, you know, we're going to, we're going to just, we're going to shout it into you. You know, this is a version of a a minutia of the Marine Corps here. This is what school is. And, um, I mean, I think that might work on some people, but it it wasn't working on me. Was I maybe a, you know, a soft kid? Maybe. I don't know. I guess so. Um, But it wasn't working on me. That's all I know. That's all I can tell you is it didn't work on me. And that that rebellion, I'll tell you what, that rebellion in punk, as it became more and more punk rock, hardcore punk, I mean, it became a, a, it, it started out as a disdain for any authoritative figure in my life whatsoever. Then it went on to be a, a, a disdain for uh, the hierarchies in school. So you got like the, 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 the wealthy and the good looking and the jocks were at the top of the social structure. It became an, uh, an attempt to topple that, to be, a, to be vehemently opposed to those people. Then it became 
uh, the cops, it became everything for me was, was in question the government. But then again, at the same time, here I am and I still don't trust the government. <laughs> so, so I've, I've been able to parse through what is mindless rebellion and what is actual legitimate rebellion and what you should question. I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm really rambling here. Am I, is this a cohesive? Does this it's, make sense? Yeah, it's, it's perfect. In fact, that right there proves a much larger point is that growing up, of course, is is difficult for many, if not all, regardless of whether a person thinks it was difficult or not. It usually is. And there's hurdles along the way because that's the way that life operates. At the exact same time, the person who walks through their childhood being trusting, that would have been the same kind of person who would have gone along with what's happened worldwide over the last three years. The person who wouldn't stand up to authority, the person who would say, look, Let's just all do it. You know, let's all just get along. We're, we're, we're trying to make our way through this and, and rationalize the actions of endless people and endless governments over the last three years. Going along with it is, is what's getting people killed. Yeah. And so that, that very early, for, uh, those early formative years of, of not wanting to go along to get along. As long as, of course, it's not self-destructive to yourself in the in the process, but it's a life saving it's a life saving skill, and it certainly is something that we experience when we're children. The question is, is who pulls the trigger on it and actually says, you know what, I I don't want to I don't want to put up with this anymore. I, I know the difference between good and evil. I know what these people are doing is bad, and and I don't like I don't like authority. If a person yeah. experienced that as a child, they held on to that as an adult, and well, they didn't wear the mask and they didn't take the shots, and they haven't done <laughs> a lot of things. So, well, it, and in that, I see God's perfect design for us. Right? There you go. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, I mean, this, he's he put us through the test of the beginning to, to shape us to who we are are now. Yeah, and, and you know, and I don't mean to play Monday morning quarterback by saying this. You know, hindsight. I don't want to skew the past with hindsight. You know, uh, wisdom comments, but. I can't help but think that my Christian upbringing, because my, my father, uh, my dad had me late in life, and he wasn't, my dad was never the play ball in the yard with you kind of dad. He worked all the time. He, you know, he was, but the one thing that he did do consistently was talk to us about God and our family. Okay. Um, I, even at a young age, I had an understanding that I was a child of God. And to be a child of God, you are going to be a social outcast. I don't, like I said, I don't want to be uh, a Monday morning quarterback by saying all this, with, you know, with high, this type of hindsight. But I really do think that those those precepts of who I was as a, as a as a child of God, a spiritual being, even in its infancy as a kid, you don't fully understand everything yet, but you get a basic idea. Led me to not accept things that I didn't see that were right, ever. Right. Yeah. When I saw kids getting picked on at school, that would make me that, that bristled me when I saw teachers being, you know, picking on some kid or whatever, being uh, oppressive to some kid that would that would, uh, I guess, make you know, my spirit man inside me. That would make me uh, discontent. And, and and school was filled with it. I mean, it was totally, absolutely just utterly brimming with it. Um, I saw teachers in high school um, living out their high school fantasies by by trying to align themselves with the good looking popular kids and they would coddle them and nurture them. And other kids were almost invisible to them. Yeah. And I was just like, am I really seeing this? And I saw it. I saw it by my own eyes. I saw teachers literally being sycophants to the popular good looking kids in school. Yep. 
Have you seen that too? Oh yeah, it's a thing. I mean, again, having been a teacher for ten years, when I taught, that was uh, that was common. You would see these teachers now in a position of authority, essentially promoting themselves as being the na- the now popular kid in school, when in fact they were an adult and an employee. Yes. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of teachers. I can see these teachers' faces in my mind right now. Not all of them, but a few. And those same teachers, in hindsight, now, and you're making me think about this now, those same teachers had um, made their way into positions of the head of the yearbook committee and the head of the, the class elections. Yeah. Um, the, we cheer- had a, the cheerleading coach. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, exactly. It's, it's those kinds of positions, you know. Again, the, the the former kid in band. Well, now he's the band teacher, and now he's in charge. So he gets to, you know, he or she gets to decide what goes on and what doesn't go on. And yeah, I mean, they many of them re-enter the uh, the entire profession because they are on a massive power trip. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I've seen it with my own eyes. I, I'm actually trying to. I think if I should tell the story or not, but there's a there's a true story from my high school where um, there was uh, an election for homecoming king in Queen, right? And uh, for whatever reason, somebody got it in there. I got the idea to promote this kid that wasn't particularly popular for king, and I think it was sort of maybe sort of a uh, it was probably done in humor at the time, but also there was probably a subconscious desire to to topple the whole idea that there was this you know the good good looking in the good-looking kids always get to be the, the kings and queens right so they nominated this kid and and everybody rallied behind it and voted for him to be king and his name is john and um i heard i don't you know of course it's hearsay but i knew somebody that was in the room when they were counting votes and they said they told me that john won and the teacher that this teacher one of these sycophantic teachers stepped up and said he is not getting this election and they gave it to one of the other nominees who was you know more of the typical homecoming king type, and yeah. they took it from him. It, I'll tell you something that that entire situation I've written about in a past book of mine, and situations like it. And I was remarkably blunt in the book about situations just like that the the selection of homecoming kings and queens and that entire uh, pageantry bullshit. I mean, it's it's so it's so terrible. Um, And it's a trick that continues to exist to this day where they purposely will vote for a handicapped student, a physically or mentally handicapped student to be a homecoming king or queen. I've seen that, yes. Oh, of course. I have noticed that script flip. And, 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 And here's the thing is that even that scenario has been flipped a couple of times to where they will do it because they know that this person really wants it, but at the same time, they also do it to trick the person in order to, again, make fun of them and then humiliate the, the other individual who ends up winning also. So on wow. one end, you have a mentally and physically handicapped individual, we'll say, becoming the homecoming queen. And then they know that, you know, Ted Williams, the popular jock, is the one who's being voted for, uh, for the homecoming king. But they will purposefully make sure that she wins. So that she has to be seen with him and he has to be seen with her at this dance or whatever and all of the ceremonies and the, the football fields and all of that nonsense. <laughs> they're manipulating their own peers, but the, it's the environment that doesn't understand that they're setting the stage for that manipulation to take place. Wow. 
you know, you just blew my mind, dude. Think about it like this. What a, a, a training ground for us to accept when they steal elections, when they prop up people that we didn't even want. Sure. It's just, it's, it's all a gaslighting training ground in, in, in high school to, be, to prepare you for the rest of your life and under the system. Of course. Yeah. Wow. Every, you just blew my mind. Every, everything about the, uh, the entire school environment is designed to make people compliant. Yeah. Because like you said earlier, again, with, with all of your experience and, and your stories, and it's not unique in that endless people feel this way, but the school system does a very good job, and it's a terrible thing, clearly, but they do a very good job of protecting themselves by using words to manipulate people within the environment again, to protect their own image the best that they can. So what do they do with, for example, the students who are highly intelligent, maybe don't have a lot of friends, understand that the environment is a dangerous one. They don't play the games. They're not, you know, they're not conformists. What do they call those people? They call them loners. So the term loner is actually a derogatory term for an individual who's probably very highly intelligent and can see the environment for what it is. Wow. Jeez. And as a result, of course, what what does that do? If the if the quote unquote loner isn't smart enough to know what I just explained and that the environment is is purposefully manipulating them, then they either become violent toward other people or they become they basically become violent toward themselves. Again, whether that's drug addiction or sexual promiscuity or whatever it may be. But these are the kinds of things, again, where they they just uh, slide down the slippery slope rather quick, or they uh, at least can. And, you yeah, know, and it, go ahead. And, it, and, at the, and at the very least, it just, it, it um, diminishes their self-esteem. Of course. And, and if your self-esteem, if, if you don't think highly of yourself, you don't understand who you are, then what's going to happen is you are, you're, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to Continually make poor decisions for the direction of your life. Yep. If you are bold in who you are and you know, and you've been encouraged in who you are, you're going to be bold throughout your life. And that's, and fortune favors the bold. Good things happen to those who are, but if they, if they make you feel like you're a loner, you're a rebel, you don't have a place here, then you're just going to sh- curl up in a ball and, and let the world pass you by. And then you, and, and they, they essentially put out your light. And I'll tell you what, I, I've told this story before. Numerous, uh, well, at least sporadically, I, I should say, over the course of my show. But when I was when I was in high school, I received a call from the counselor, and he had me come into his office, and he pulled me in, and he said, "Sean, uh, you have all the credits that you need to graduate. You can graduate early." And I looked at him, and I went, "Really?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I said, "Great. I want to leave now." And he goes, "All right." He goes. These are the only classes you have to finish up, and then you can graduate a semester early. Wow. And I went, awesome. He pulled me back in one more time, and he wanted to meet with all of the students that were in my class who were going to graduate early. And there were about six of us. And I'm telling you, when I sat in this room, we all we all met in this room, and the counselor showed up last. But I'm looking around the room, and we're all looking at each other, and we all said, so why are you all here? And we all, we all almost in unison said, well, we're graduating early. And we looked at each other again. We, we knew each other's faces from elementary school. But here we are, we're looking at each other. 
And we were not the valedictorians. We were not straight A students. We just we just did what we were told, and uh, and basically gamed the system. We just figured it out that you know I only have to take a certain set of classes in order to get out of here, basically. And and we were all shocked that it was just us that were that had figured this out and and were leaving. Fast forward to the very last semester of me being an actual school teacher, and I'm sitting in a faculty meeting. And the interim principal, who was an absolute monster of a woman, but she was at the front of the room in this faculty meeting, and she was telling the entire faculty to not tell students that they can graduate early if they, in fact, have all of the credits that they need to graduate. So she wanted, she wanted to keep that a secret from everybody and trick as many students as humanly possible into staying for at least four full years instead of graduating in three years, which they actually could do. So this, so she started to make fun of this one particular girl who was graduating in three years. And, and as you might imagine, she used all of those names that you use to disparage an individual who has figured out the system. She said, well, this girl isn't, isn't really special. She doesn't have straight A's. She's certainly not a valedictorian. Uh, you know, she's not a part of any sport or any club. She doesn't have any extracurriculars. Uh, and she's basically a loner. And she said, wow. she said all of that to the faculty. And I turned and I looked at the, at the guy next to me who I knew and had played golf with before. He was nice enough, but he's harmless. But I, but I looked at him and I said, I graduated early. I said, and she's making fun of somebody who's graduating early. She's making fun of me. And I made that connection yep. right then and there, and I thought, this, I got to get out of here. This place is nuts. These people are nuts. And that, that is the environment in a nutshell. I mean, they lie to everybody. You almost have to, you have to be a pathological liar at this, certainly at this point, to even work in these environments. Wow. It's wild. I was just going to say, I'm reminded of a guy I went to junior high and high school with, and he was an incredibly smart guy. He was, he, he knew how to play everybody like a fiddle. He was hilarious. He was very funny. Um, we, we, had, we loved him. He was our pal. Uh, I'm going to say his name. I don't think it'll hurt anything. His name is uh, Steve Bobeck. I haven't talked to him in, you know, since high school, <clears throat> but he was super smart. And we'd go into our, we had a history teacher and she was teaching history through the perspective of the hippie revolution. Uh, so she would, she, we talk about Vietnam through a sort of a hippie perspective and, and she frequently, not only did she make history, um, incredibly boring, but she was inaccurate. And Bobek had this way of just being very casual and he'd go, that's not true. And she'd be like, what can you speak up, Steve? What, what are you trying? And he would shame her in her own class on the regular. <laughs> he would, he'd say, you said this, that's not true. That what you didn't mention this, the supplies, but like he would just break down history. Like I never heard anybody do it before in my life. And he was very nonchalant and casual about it. And she would just go, well, 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 I mean, she didn't know what to do because sure. she was trained to teach uh, liberal propaganda. Right. And he was trying to, to just go back to actual history and, and he'd correct her. It was crazy. I mean, I, in, in, in hindsight, I look at all this and go, wow, how did, I mean, we know now that we were constantly being gaslit by our culture, constant. But I didn't fully realize how gaslit we were being from, you know, from through our education system on. And I'll tell you what, it's got to be even more challenging today for a teacher with the way that social media is and the fact that, 
almost every single student has a cell phone in their hands, they can look up the real history of what really goes on in the world in an instant if they choose to and they know where to go on the internet to find that information, whereas a teacher has no flipping clue. <laughs> right. So, I mean, and, like and, you said, and, a, t- a teacher's standing up there talking about something and all, all that happens is a student in the classroom holds up their phone and goes, Mr. Miss So-and-so, um, that's not true. And they and they hold up the you know they hold up their phone and and show them a website that contradicts everything that they're saying. Yep. Yeah. That, so 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 the information age is part of the wake up, but uh, and for some of these maybe this next generation of kids maybe they're going to start seeing, you know what what they're being the garbage they're being taught and, and snap out of it a little quicker than it took us to, to figure it out. Uh, I'm realizing now in hindsight too that Bobek was essentially our uh, he was a walking uh, Google for us apparently in that class anyways. There you go. Because he was so smart. Yeah, the the information age and and the technology the way that it is now has absolutely made the school environment obsolete. And it's and it's really only obsolete for the person who is curious. It's only obsolete for the person who is a free thinker. For everybody else that loves the the pomp and circumstance and all the fake rites of passage and all the you know the games, the gimmicks, and the nonsense, the school environment's perfect for them because that's all designed to brainwash them. That's that. That's yeah. why they go. They go there, and and of course, as you know, that's where the phrase socialization comes from. You know, you got to send your kids to school so they can socialize. But it's yeah. it's absolutely amazing. Let, let me ask you this question: are, are you friends with anyone who sends their children to American public schools, or are you friends with anybody who homeschools their children? Um. I, I'm sure I am. I'm trying to think off, off the top of my head. You kind of took me off guard with that one. I know I know people who homeschool, and I just funny, just yesterday I was in a um, I was doing business in, in an account in Maumee, Ohio, in your uh, in your backyard there. <clears throat> and uh, she's a really nice gal. Her name's <clears throat> excuse me. Her name's Kendall. She has a one year old right now, and uh, she thinks a lot like us on everything and on every level. And she told me yesterday she's thinking about um, homeschooling. And I told her I said. I said, listen, you got to look up Dr. Sean Brooks at American Education FM. And I said, do you listen to podcasts? She goes, once in a while. I said, take a listen to this. He breaks down a lot about what's going on in the education system. And he also, I said, I can't remember the name of it, but he also gives the name of a, frequently talks about a online curriculum to help you homeschool. So it's not so daunting. It's not like you're coming up with curriculum. And she's like, oh, really? So she was really excited by that. So I know people who are, yes, have kids and, well, yeah. Interesting. Another little side note, you didn't mention this category. I, I've talked to like, I know three people off the top of my head that send their kids or at least, at least three people to, to private schools. Sure. And in a couple cases, they're not even particularly religious. They send them to, to Catholic schools because they have such disdain for the education system. So even though they're not religious, they'll be more than happy to send them to Catholic school just to get a better education. That's my neighbors across the street did that. Um, somebody that I was talking to yesterday, he said, that's what they do with their kids. They send them to private school because they can't, well, that's, you know, my neighbors across the street, they told me for three kids, it was $45,000 a year to put them through that See, education. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. And I, I find it interesting because again, they can read and write, which means why on earth aren't they just doing it themselves? Save the $45,000 plus and just, you know, have your, you know, for a couple hundred bucks a year, have your kids just teach themselves at home. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, I think, I don't don't know if it was on the podcast you were on with us recently, but uh, there's this term that keeps coming to mind for me lately. It makes me kind of, it's it's sort of funny, but it's sort of not. Uh, Humiliation ritual. 
And uh, I'm starting to think that school is a humiliation ritual. Of course. Uh, the news and media is a humiliation ritual. Uh, and I've got one more just to be funny. Um, I, I'm, an, I'm an, uh, an Android user, but my work just sent me a, an, an Apple iPad. And I tried to set foot into an Apple store. And I, I realized that Apple stores are a humiliation ritual as well. <laughs> they are. That's, that's why their logo is an apple with a bite taken out of it. Yes. Yes. Yep. They wow. know exactly what they're doing. They do. They do. They, they gaslight you to the point that you, they try to break you. And until you learn to, to tune them out on every capacity, that means get your kids out of the school system. Uh, turn off the, t- the news. I don't care if you're right or left or whatever you lean. Turn it off. And uh, put your nose in the Bible and get your head on straight because this whole system is designed to make you fail. Nothing is designed to help you succeed. It is all there to humiliate you and to stop you from becoming a higher level of yourself to your highest potential. It does quite the opposite. It's to make you into a mindless drone for their agenda. You know, tell them where they can find your guys' show, the platforms you're on, all that stuff. Okay, so if people want to listen to our podcast, I'm the co-host. Um, it's called Dangerous Info with Jesse James and Outcast. We're on every streaming service, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Buzzsprout. But you can watch us live and see visuals if you turn, tune into um, Rumble on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Uh, Dr. Sean here is, a, is becoming a beloved friend to us, and he's a contributor to the show. We have him on periodi- periodically, so you'll get to hear Sean once in a while if you listen. Um, we, we look at biblical prophecy. We look at um, uh, what you would call conspiracy. We look at uh, news events. We try to balance it all out the best we can in our uh, our simple little minds that we have as we try to look at this crazy world that is gaslighting us at every turn. Um, on that note, would, yeah, just just come check us out, see what you think. We sometimes we do uh, preparedness information, that kind of thing. Um, but we're just two regular Joes that just want to spread truth if we can and uh, and bring a, a level of uh, biblical knowledge to the fact that. Everything that we're going through right now is, is prophecy. Um, so that gives you a flavor. I have a, a, a parting uh, scripture for you. It's 1 Corinthians 3.18. Um, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. So that goes for the people running around with their diplomas, and they think that makes them better than anybody else. Better check yourself, because God will—he will—, uh, he will Humble those who think that they are wise, and he will make wise out of the foolish right before your eyes. He'll flip the tables on you. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.